Welcome to our third interview. Fourth interview, I can't count, excuse me, <laughs> on Kung Fu Conversations with the talented Sonny Manon. Sonny, welcome this morning. Thank you. I'm, it's, uh, it's nice to be here. I suppose. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm always here. This is my house, but it's nice to be here with you guys virtually. So, and literally, not just virtually. We're crossing time and space via Zoom, right? That's it, my friend. That's it. Sonny. So you and I talked a little bit on Instagram a while back, and uh, we talked about your dad's style of kung fu, if you will. So you had an interesting upbringing. We're, mm-hmm. We want your full kung fu origin story, but would you actually start with what your father did and kind of how he taught you kung fu before you learned kung fu? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was saying what you're talking about. I was like, well, that was just a just a, a PE coach, <laughs> but I know now. Now I kind of cluing into where you're getting at and you're exactly right. You know, like when my, my dad was a, uh, uh, a phenomenal athlete, actually. Um, he was, uh, like a collegiate level track athlete back in the fifties, you know, like, um, placed nationally, I believe in the long jump. I mean, a, a, he was at USC on scholarship. So just a really phenomenal athlete, multi-sport athlete. Um, and just continued to have a love of athleticism his whole life. You know, he stayed healthy his whole life. He taught, um, he was a coach uh, of multi-sports up until the college level. I actually played basketball for him one year at the community college level, which was um, uh, really fun. Um, we clashed a lot, but it was still fun. <laughs> but, um, and so he, he just grew up viewing, um, you know, the way that we used our physical body to interact with the world was very important. You know, if you learned a sport, you learned how to use your body to do it correctly, not just because that was, you know, the right way to do it, because that was how you were going to uh, have the most fun doing it. That was how you're going to get the most enjoyment doing it, because that's how you'd actually feel the way it was meant to be played, you know? So, you know, I can remember being like five years old and being taught how to play ping pong. And it was like, you know, hold it here. And, you know, your wrist is here and you got to move this way. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like any Kung Fu lesson where, you know, it, you know, the person would be like, you know, put your hand here and put that there and, and so on. And so I learned very, um, early on that when it came to like a physical practice, there was most definitely a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. That was not always directly connected to the performance that you were going to exhibit in that art, because, you know, you could sit there with the best form and basketball is my main art and I can have the best form and I can know how to do everything. But I knew that, you know, doesn't mean I was actually going to beat the other guy. <laughs> you know, I was going to not, it didn't mean that I was going to, uh, you know, you know, have the advantage every time just because I had a better skill set, you know? And so this was always really intriguing to me. And so it kind of always kept me in the physical realm of training, trying to get better at my sport, getting more athletic because, you know, there was always this little bit of disconnect between that. I saw very early on between knowing how to do something and then your performance of it in a competitive standpoint, you know what I mean? Cause I grew up very athletic. I grew up very, you know, you know, working out all the time. I was in the gym from when I was like 10 years old, I was in there like swinging barbells around and stuff like I can remember. And so like, uh, I kind of always had this idea that you had to work to be able to do it, but it wasn't a clear path. You know, it wasn't just as easy as, you know, put your arm here and you know do do this and it's going to happen every time. You know, you got to really work for it. And so when I got into my first Kung Fu class, it was like going 
all the way back <laughs> to the very beginning of like, man, I don't know how to do anything correctly. <laughs> and which I love, you know, I love that because anytime you find those areas where you're, where you know you're not, you're a little bit off, that's where you can find your improvement. That's where you can go into your body method, where you can go into your practice and you can really get a lot out of it, you know? And so, um, yeah, that, that was a, it was kind of set my compass very early on for how I wanted to interact with uh, physical practices. But obviously growing up in the Central Valley of California, you know, there wasn't a Shaolin temple down the street, sure. <laughs> which I was, which I was very disappointed about. You know, I was very disappointed in as a, as a kid who grew up watching like black belt theater and like Shaw brothers movies and stuff. Like I was like, I'm ready. Where's the Kung Fu school? Like, and where's the Shaolin symbol? But you know um, what I had was, you know, just was basketball track and field and which be, ended up being my two main sports all the way through college. And then uh, just, you know, I love you know, goofing around playing things, <laughs> you know, like, cause I grew up any sport, you know, I would try to interact with it. You know, it didn't matter what I was doing when I was a kid. If it was tennis, I wanted to learn how to do that correctly and interact with it the right way. If I was playing baseball, I wanted to learn how to interact with the sport the correct way, you know, meaning the, the movement, the techniques, the strategies, all that kind of stuff. I would try to interact with it like, so that was just kind of instilled from very early on. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what was your first Kung Fu class, my friend? And when was that? How many years ago? Uh, well, excuse me. Um, it was with, uh, Sifu John Chang, a seven star mantis, uh, master, um, in Southern California, actually in Irvine, California. I'm not, you probably, you might be familiar with Sifu Chang and, and the tragedy that happened to him. Uh, last yeah, year. It, it, it was, yeah. it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was awful, you know, and it, and, um, you know, it's not necessarily a direction, uh, and, you know, we want to take this conversation, obviously, sure. but besides saying that, you know, Sifu Chang was an amazing teacher. His character was evident from the first, you know, time I met him, you know, all that stuff I was just talking about, it was running into Sifu Chang, my first lesson with him that brought that all back to the forefront. Right. So I was 20, I was probably 22. I had just gotten done. I just finished playing. Uh, collegiate basketball. Um, I had a scholarship uh, to a, a private, like an NAI school, you know, where I played uh, my last two years. I played community college before that. Um, I was in high school. I was very high level in basketball, but I started getting a lot of injuries. Actually, I started, I had knee surgery, dislocated my left shoulder twice, cracked some ribs, um, had an appendix surgery. Yeah. Like, wow. You know, I saw all this stuff started adding up where, where, this physical body that I, that I was interacting with, you know, in a, in a sport that I was going like this, my body started, you know, the engines started petering out a little bit, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It started getting stuck going over the mountains, you know, like the, the, the plane. And so, um, I, and my performance started to, to go down towards the end of my collegiate career because I just couldn't, um, uh, like, my, my body just couldn't keep up that stress level of, of performance, you know, with all those injuries keeping up. I mean, I was in an ice bath like every day after practice, you know, up to my neck, which is, yep. you know, you know, ice baths are a great, a great way to ignore what's going on in your body. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'll tell you that, you know, because as soon as you get in the ice bath, the body goes, Oh, let's reprioritize, reprioritize. Don't die. <laughs> Don't, freeze exactly right. Right. Yep. Don't freeze to death. Don't freeze to death. You're sprained ankle and dislocated shoulder. 
secondary. That's important. <laughs> Let's not worry about that for a while. You know, just don't die. So I did that every day for years, right? Or for like four years. It was amazing. Uh, my body, I didn't miss a practice, but you know, uh, I had to deal with it much, much farther down the road for sure. So anyway, I end up going, uh, into Sifu Chang's class and, you know, I'm, I still feel like I'm a collegiate athlete, you know? And then of course I just get embarrassed for an hour <laughs> with everything. Cause if you've ever, if you ever get a chance to look and see him move, he is a, as far as his movement, I mean, he just is moving in another plane than most people. I mean, his perception of his movement, his speed, where, how he moved his body was just second to none, you know? And I grew up around world-class athletes. You know, I mean, I was my, the, my dad was a track coach and our track team at the college that we were at was sent people, has sent people to the Olympics, you know? And so I knew what athletes looked like. I knew how athletes moved and what athletes did. I mean, I had got, I played with guys that went to the NBA, you know? And so when I saw Sifu Chang and the way he moved, this was not just a natural, you know, athlete, but somebody who had cultivated and embodied their practice to a level that you could see it. You know, you could just see it in everything they did. And for me, coming from like a, a you know, just a really, a deep connection to like a physical culture, you know, meaning, you know, you just use your body. That's how you did it. Um, I saw that and just and recognized it and wanted it <laughs> and wanted it really bad, you know, because, because all of a sudden I'm going down in like, you know, horse stance and I'm going down in a defensive stance, you know, so my legs are open and I'm bending forward and I'm, and I got a completely different at him. And he's just like, no, straighten your back, do this, do this. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm frozen in place and I can't move and I'm doing it wrong. And, and I know I'm doing it wrong and I, and I love it. And it's great because it's like, that's where you get better, right? As soon as somebody can help you see the areas where you're not doing it right. You're like, Oh, okay, good. Now I can, now I know what I need to work on. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was that. And then him telling me very early on that, you know, that um, these are things that you should be able to get better at. And that will make you healthier as you get older, you know, that you'll, that you'll be stronger when you're 30, when, when you're 40, when you're 50 and seeing, being around athletics and seeing, being around older athletes, like my dad who played three on three basketball up until his seventies, you know, wow. like with people less than half his age and was, you know, he's, he's a, a, a whole nother creature. <laughs> he's more, he was more a manimal than human i think in person he's just very fair and um, didn't have as many injuries as, as, as i as i did you know but um so seeing that and so seeing how some older athletes were able to perform at a very high level at, at an older age but then some were not you know like my dad's idol was like jack lalane you know and yeah and, and you know actually i think my dad wanted to wrestle jack lalane i think that's what he wanted to do because <laughs> he was he was because he was uber competitive all the way up until, you know, basically until he died, you know, he was just, he was just super competitive until he was like 84. But um, anyways, uh, seeing that, you know, how some were able to maintain their, their athleticism, maintain like this kind of vigor, you know, and others um, were not, you know, and trying to, un I, you know, from, if you're not, if you have not been exposed to a different perspective, like you would get in the, Chinese martial arts or, or, or maybe from the, some of the other Eastern practices from a purely Western perspective, you are working from the assumption that you're having diminishing returns over time. 
Right. And it's just chance. It's just luck. You got lucky that you, you're, you're healthy this long because you didn't get injured. You got good genetics. Genetic, yeah. Very few things that you actually were intentionally putting into practice to do. It's just more people just sort of are, are, will ride it off and then move on because to them, they don't think there is anything actionable, right? Sure. Cause how do you take action on genetics or chance of being hurt? If, you know, those kind of things, because if you've been, were hurt or in the injury, you know, like that's, that's tough to deal with. You are in a different position physically than some starting off with than somebody who wasn't, you know? And so because I had those kind of models and examples, but I had injuries adding up, you know? And so things were starting to like, not look up. I'm like, I'm strong. I know I'm strong. I know I got athletics. I feel, I know how to move my body around, but I'm running into, I'm running into my, my own, like, you know, the, the story and the experience that my body had picked up until that point, you know, like the injuries and stuff when you're just a kid or you don't know any better how to move your body. Right. And so you know, I liked that idea. <laughs> I thought that was a really good idea. And so, and, and I had already been very deeply kind of, uh, into Chinese philosophy. Um, I picked up a copy of the Tao Te Ching when I was like 15 at the local bookstore. And, and it was because, you know, I was contrary by nature. And so I saw like, it's the oldest book, you know, <laughs> it's like, or one of the oldest books. I'm like, yes, I'll take this one. <laughs> you know, if it's older, it's better. You know, like we all kind of had that mentality at some point, I'm sure looking into these practices, you know? And so that, and so I was, I, so I was one of those people who kind of had two tracks, you know, like I was never, I, I was very physical. I liked the philosophy. And then when I finally saw the opportunity to put them together, it was just like, mm. oh, okay, this is, this is great. You know, this is what I like about it. And then, you know, the physical practice, the, 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 the martial side, the applications, all that kind of stuff for me is just the fun stuff I get to do along the way of exploring the, the other aspects, you know, which for me was how can I keep myself um, physical and, and strong and maybe undo some of the damage that I had accumulated when I was, you know, a, a maniac kid playing sports and basketball for like eight hours a day until I was 22, you know, and then I, did the same thing in Kung Fu for a while because it takes a long time to shift your habits and patterns. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and it takes so much work to get proficient at Kung Fu. Yeah. You know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta lay that, you gotta lay that experience in the body. You know what I mean? You gotta like, sometimes, you know, you do that. If you, we don't have enough movement experience when we usually in, within our bodies, when we go into our practices, because navigating today's world doesn't require a, a huge variation in movement, you know? And so, so we don't have the same level of muscle memory or um, just our, the, where we hold the tension in our body is very different than where people even 50 years ago, a hundred years ago held tension yep. in their body and how they did it. And then, and the movement and the sort of like, you know, uh, universal, muscle memory maybe you can call it like what's our universal muscle memory today how to sit right and how to look, look down you know you know how to do this kind of stuff and so you know that changes depending on on the on the time period and the culture you know what i mean people you know how many people go and begin their tai chi practice uh, knowing how to do a full deep squat you know i'll tell you who does practically every person who ever did in china <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I mean? That's just true because it's necessary. That's just culturally the toilets are on the ground. You grow up squatting, you eat on the ground. It's just, that's a cultural muscle memory of being able to drop down that, that thing. That is something that most people did not have to necessarily overcome as, as something that was never within their grasp, except when they were just like little kids or something. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? You, you kind of get what I'm Ab- saying? Like that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, this is, this is why like in my classes and when I teach and even when I post, you know, I, I put so much emphasis on, you know, body method because that's what a lot of all my teachers talked about, you know, just the body needs more movement experience, you know, as you're, as you're practicing. So, and, and unfortunately sometimes you, you know, nobody comes into it being able to, if we came into Kung Fu being able to like move exactly how we're supposed to move, then we wouldn't necessarily need Kung Fu. Right. <laughs> you know? It, it, and so you, you gotta, you gotta kind of, uh, I assume that you're doing a lot of things wrong that you are going to have to make up for later on. You know what I mean? In your practice, that's kind of, that's my take on it because that's, that's just my experience when I was you know, playing basketball, you know, playing sports. As you start, you are going to pick up a crap ton of bad habits. And as you're progressing through the levels, you need to start getting rid of those bad habits. You know, like if, you know, when I was, when I was playing, um, I was really good at going to my right. And of course, you know, then force him to his left, <laughs> you know? Okay. Well, I, then I started getting really good, go to my left. So, like, so that it's the same thing in Kung Fu. You know what I mean? Like, Yin and yang. You got to be able to go right. You got to be able to go left. <laughs> you know. So the balance is so. out. That's funny. I'll tell you a super quick story, Sonny, because we want to. This show's yours, but Owen is actually my fourth Bagua teacher, and he's oh, the nice. only one that has actually stuck with me. And I honestly, <laughs> because you know my origin art, and I still practice it, and I still teach it, is Wing Chun. And I think going from Wing Chun, something, you know, very static and very linear. And then, you know, it gets a little dynamic when you're interacting, you're doing chi sao with somebody or things like that. But my other three teachers were good teachers, but I don't think I had enough body intelligence to keep it inside of me, to keep the circle walking. And so after a decade of doing some awesome Xing Yi, which I, I I still love Xing Yi, you know, I was finally ready to try to at least get the bagua on the circle walking the turning because my body was intelligent enough to introduce that kind of movement into it so yeah it it, it is uh i i can completely understand what you're talking about you know it's like uh i almost had a, a different experience you know like when i like and it's almost because i had a little bit of a different experience that i was able to see over time with my kung fu brothers and my own students and sort of in the the inverse, you know, or the opposite of that. Like I came into Kung Fu with so much instilled muscle memory within my mm. body from playing athletics that it was just like, you know, I, it like almost was short, not necessarily short circuit me, but it, it, it allowed me to, it didn't short circuit me. I'll tell you, that's, that's, uh, when I think about it now, looking back, <laughs> short circuits, <me. laughs> but, but in the moment, but in the time it actually was like, uh, it was like I had a ready-made path to try to interact with these movements. So I actually picked up things quite quickly, but it was one of those things where I would learn like that and then it would just go boom and be plateaued for a long time because my, my, I had learned through the uber competitive environment of Western athletics, which is all per- performance based, right? Um, 
especially, you know, 20 plus 30 years ago. And uh, nowadays it's getting a little bit better, but like, you know, 20 plus years ago, 30 plus years ago, I would have killed for a massage gun, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Or, or, or like a, or compression devices or things like this. This has been amazing. Or somebody to teach me Qigong in high school, you know, like to be able to do some breath work, you know, like to know any yep. of this stuff would have been amazing back then. Right. But of course we didn't know any of it. And so, you know, you're just using your body as a tool. And so when I came into it, I knew how to interact with my body. It was a tool. for me. And so I could just, you know, you show me something and, and I would, this is Bob All right. Let me, let me, let me do it. You know, like, and I could get to a, a pretty good approximation of it very quickly because I was a good mimic, you know, cause that's what you have to be. You watch people play basketball, you watch people do things. I was a super good mimic. You know, I could copy somebody's movement really quick. I still do. Like, you know, I, I love watching other people move and I'll go, I'll go and try to copy it <laughs> and see if my body can figure it out on its own. And so then, um, but what that did was like, you know, it allowed me to really heavily lean into my compensations and my strengths um, so it took me a long time to really sort of run into that area where I needed to pivot a little bit, you know, and pivot the practice. Like you were saying how, you know, you first time you did Bagua, you, you know, like it was kind of hard and you went and did some other things and the, the singing came back to it, you know, and then you had a whole different uh, experience to it. It was the same thing with me. It was like, I had to kind of follow down one path for a while, letting it sort of sink in and then got to a point where it finally sort of clicked and I was able to, you know, make some, make some good changes. Um, a big thing of it was, you know, really getting into the internal arts was the big part, you know, what they call the internal arts. I mean, who cares about the, the when you say internal, external, you know, once you say it, you got to use it. <laughs> you can't unsay it. You know what I mean? You can't take language back. You know, like, if you, if you want to, if you want to use your F word now, you can go ahead. Sorry, you're no, no, I'm sure there are more important things to use it on. You know? and, and I can get quite, I can, I can get quite creative with the expletives too. So. Um, Sounds good. Uh, I, I can stay away from the F bombs. Throw some other things in. Um, but, you know, once I got under, once I was sort of exposed to those through my, um, my, my other teacher, uh, Andrew Dale, which, you know, if you're not familiar with him, Andrew Dale is, is still one of the most, uh, skilled and, uh, just deepest level martial artists I've ever had the pleasure to be around. I mean, and when I, when I studied, after I studied with him, I studied with him before I moved to China and I visited teachers throughout Beijing for six months before I found, I was like, well, nobody's better. <laughs> nobody's impacting me the way that he impacted me. Cause like I said, you know, I knew movement. I knew what movement was supposed to look like. I knew what relaxed movement looked like because when you play sports, you got to be relaxed. You got to be able to flow, you know, especially if you're playing a sport like basketball, which is so dynamic. So I knew what that looked like. And I've been training that for so long. I was still kind of on that path. You know, I wanted to be secretly, I wanted to be like, you know, the Michael Jordan of Bagua or something, <laughs> you know, you know? And so when I saw him, he just was so fluid, so graceful that I, I studied with him and I downloaded as much as I could. And then when I went to China, I was just going and looking for somebody that struck the same chord with me as he did. And after, it took me a long time, you know, he was that, he had that, that deep level of skill, but you know, he's just very, uh, humble and unassuming and just teaching up there in Seattle and, you know, like a really amazing uh, teacher, his understanding of like body mechanics and body method was what 
brought me to him, you know, because not only did he, was he, was he showing and demonstrating what he was doing, he was using language that was able to express that movement verbally. Mm. Right. So, you know, this is when I got that first real um, sort of uh, exposure to internal principles, right. Which to me are physics, Taiji physics, you know, when you're talking about it's how we interact, it's early observation of physics without the, without, you know, all the tools, the technological tools that we have today that helps us interact with physics, you know, physics without a microscope or a telescope, you know, you just got your, your own observations of things. And so um, that made a lot of sense to me because when I would put those concepts into play in my own movement, I could feel them. And then when I could feel those concepts in my own movement, I could, I could then compare them to other things, you know, and extrapolate them. That's why I love body method because it is sort of like, you know, you find the bows of the body, the bows of the body are always there regardless of what art you're doing. And it just depends how you then, how you choose to interact with those bows over time, right? And there's going to be your gong fu, right? How you then take that and shape it. Is it going to end up, are you going to interact with it like Tai Chi, you know, or are you going to interact with it like Bagua or Shimi? Or how are you going to develop the intelligence throughout that shape of your body and get that body community, part of the body communicating the rest of the body over time? And so not only could, you know, I see that he had that and he was using language, that the language and the method uh, with which he was presenting it gave you the tools to follow that path yourself, you know, over time. But it was, you know, obviously it's a, a, it takes a lot of time and those principles are in and of themselves rather simple, most of them, because when it comes down to it, leverage and pressure dynamics are not overly complicated. <laughs> They're just very difficult to interact with within the body uh, throughout, you know, uh, complicated movements like, uh, you know, being a person. <laughs> you know? So, so did um, you... Oh no! Go ahead. go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, no, no. I was going to ask. Rambling. Did you go? To, did you go to Seattle specifically to study with Andrew, or were you already there and you found him? Um, I had quite, uh, as they say, like uh, itchy feet. You know, I was very nomadic in my twenties, and so I was in Southern California for a while studying with Super Chang, mm-hmm. and and then I decided to move to Japan. And so, and so I moved to Japan and I, and I lived in Japan for, for a while, um, not quite a year, um, less than a year while I was there, I actually had my first exposure to, which is a kind of interesting story. I had my first exposure to, um, uh, Tai Chi. Sifu Chang taught, Sifu Chang taught Tai Chi and I went to Tai Chi class on the weekends with him and he was amazing at it actually, but I, I was not really looking at it. I was just kind of curious about it. Then when I moved to Japan, I found a Tai Chi teacher, um, a French guy who was in Japan to learn the sword and Aikido, working as a wine seller, of course, um, whose teacher had instructed him that he must start teaching Tai Chi because he had been practicing for uh, 12 years or more. And it was time for him to start the circle again and go back to the beginning. And he was, So he was a bit of a, a, a what do you call it? Um, hesitant teacher you know that wasn't really his thing at that time and i know he wanted to be a teacher and he was an excellent teacher but he was just sort of like he was still very much a student 
you know, he was still very much a student. And that's one thing that I've always tried to see in all my teachers, all my teachers, you know, when I go to look for them, I look for things that resonate with me, which is I'm always a student. I'm always getting better. So my teachers, you know, they were people that not only did they have that, but they had it to a degree that I didn't, (laughs) you know, and so I soaked it up from them. You know, so my, you know, me training all the time is me just soaking up the influence of my teachers who also, maybe they're not quite as obsessive as me because I have a lot of teachers who do a lot of different things, you know, but they're, they're, they are within their practice at all times, you know, and that's what I was looking for because, uh, you know, I'm in my body all the time. (laughs) I try to be as much as possible. And, um, and so I met this guy, uh, this French guy, Alex, uh, Alexander Millet is his name. And um, uh, I ended up learning a little bit more about him later. And he just, and I was only in Japan for a short time. And he told me, uh, you, I can't teach you the form. I can't teach you Tai Chi, but I can give you kind of a glimpse of what Tai Chi is so that when you go on to your next spot, you'll be able to find a teacher who's, you know, who's got the goods, you know, you'll you have an idea of what to look for. And so he made me do standing meditation and walking for like, the whole class for the entire time I was there, basically. So usually like 30 minutes or so of standing and then 30 minutes of walking at least. And then that's all I would do. And then I would walk, he would just sit there and look at my feet and go wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong, <laughs> you know? And so, but I got a really good idea because what happened during that process of standing meditation, I had several, you know, looking back, I had several changes in state, you know, I released some tension. I got some thing, you know, like, I had, you know, I let go of tension in the neck that I've been holding probably forever, you know? And, and so I felt a qualitative difference in my, in my physical body from that. And so that gave me, I was like, okay, this is, this is some real stuff. So that's what prompted me when I then ended up moving to Seattle because I, I met a girl and she, and it was kind of uh, um, an easy choice because I knew there was a ton of martial arts in Seattle. Sure. And so I, I was in Japan and, and then, then I was in Switzerland for a while living and then I was in Seattle and I met the girl somewhere in there in the middle of it and found out Seattle had all this martial arts. And so it was an easy choice and things were going really well with her at the time. And um, I went over there and I visited almost every teacher in Seattle and no um, disrespect to any other teachers in Seattle, but it was when I, I saved Andy for last <laughs> And it's kind of a funny story too. And and I, I hope he listens to this and he, and he doesn't take offense, but he shouldn't take offense. But it was because when I first saw his website, he had so many things listed on it. He said he, he, uh, Chen Tai Chi, Yang Tai Chi, Xing Yi, mm-hmm. Bog Law with all these teachers. I'm mean, just like, no way somebody could know all of these things. I was under this false assumption at that time. You know, there's all these in my mind over time, these like Kung Fu fallacies, you know, um, you know, which there are, to- there are plenty of those. There are yeah, plenty of so, right? <laughs> so many. Yeah, so many. And so, you know, that you had to be, you know, specialized in this one art, you know, spe- only this, you know, that was the only way to get deep skill. And, and why did I think that? Because when I was a kid playing sports, I was told that you had to specialize in a sport if you're going to be as good one as sport, be, yep. be, be, be the top. And then later on, I ended up finding out that actually most high level college recruiters, if you didn't know this, look for multi sport athletes because huh. they know those. They know those are the athletes that have the most versatility and they look because then they can shape that athleticism. If they're too specialized at a young, a young, a younger age in the sport, they've yep. seen it limits growth. Right. Makes so, sense. <clears throat> excuse me. And so anyway, I saw that 
And I'm thinking, there's no way. So I went and I visited all the other teachers. You know, I went and visited a bunch of teachers, and there's some good teachers, really high level martial arts, especially internal martial arts, Tai Chi, Bagua, that kind of stuff in Seattle back in the, I don't know if it's quite as strong anymore, but, you know, I know back from like the, even the 60s and on, there was really high level stuff going on there in Seattle. And, and um, uh, because they had that connection, not only in Seattle, but up into Vancouver, where you had a really yeah. huge uh, diaspora, you know, and uh, especially after um, World War II and all that kind of stuff went down, you know. And so, so anyway, saving for last, went in, observed the class. Within five minutes, I was like, yeah, <laughs> this is the guy. This is totally the guy. This guy does it all and he's got it, you know, like it's all within his movement. And so it was really a big change in thinking for me, you know, because when I saw that, I saw that here was a more universal movement not specialized movement, which is oh. where I was trying to go away from, you know? And this is a distinction that I try to make in, 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 um, in when I teach in my classes is that, you know, there are some things that you're doing in your practice that are to sort of universalize your movement. Meaning what I mean by that is like, you're trying to get into the actual levers and leverages that the body is supposed to have and supposed to use, not the specific lever for, uh, that you develop through specialized work with if I was swinging a hammer every day and I get the, you know, I get the gong fu of like swinging a hammer every day. Okay. That's specialized. Right. But before I even start swinging that hammer, do I have full range of motion in my shoulder? Sure. Are my joints communicating to one another in the right, in the right uh, order? Am I able to draw in like, you know, and I like to switch languages like sometimes, you know, whether using like, you know, am I drawing into my Dantian correctly or am I creating intra-abdominal pressure correctly? You know, what's my diaphragm doing? What are the muscles in my core? You know, starting to use different uh, ways to sort of get into how the body's supposed to move and then use that connection to explore more specialized movement. And I view that as how we're able to keep the body healthy over time because through the universalizing practice, you're undoing the negative effects that any specialized training will do, you know, any, any, like, um, you know, the, the Chinese ping pong team travels probably with the doctor, right? Mm, yeah. I see <laughs> okay? what you're saying. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So if you play ping pong enough and get good enough at it, you're going to, you'll probably hurt yourself. You know what I'm saying? So anything that you do, you do it long enough. There needs to be sort of a self-correcting aspect to the system. Otherwise, you're going to be continually having to undo much of what you just did. Right. Right. So it's versus swinging a hammer every day, going home and getting a massage and using the massage gun and taking ibuprofen or whatever. And then going and swinging the hammer again versus, you know, learning, you know, uh, having a hammer form <laughs> to learn how to swing the hammer, right? you know, and, and a hammer movement that teaches you how to get the body involved in the hammer. Right. So every time you get the hammer, you're doing, right. You know, you're using how to feel the gravity of the hammer go down. So, you know, you're, you're John Henry, not, you know, Joe Smoke <laughs> swinging a hammer. Sure. Okay. You learn how to, you learn how to make your work. What makes you stronger. So, not what makes you not what makes you weaker usually right and to me that to me that's going you know so when you started with andrew did you did you what did you start with what did you where did you begin uh, 
Uh, he had a very interesting schedule the way he did his classes. And I would love to repeat this, but I, but it just doesn't, I just don't think it could work anymore. He would teach like on um, every night was a three hour class of a different style. So you know, mm. you'd have a, you'd have a night of like three hours of Bagua, a night of three hours, or there's, it was in the mornings, actually three hours of Tai Chi, a night of like, um, Aikido and all partner drills, which is are his Rosho drills, which come from such a, I've never seen, I've never come across a collection of partner work, push hands, soft skills from such a vast, uh, array of sources put together in one place as what he, as what he had, because he had so many different teachers that all came from really legitimate backgrounds that had worked to really preserve their arts. And he was like me, he was an athlete too. He was like, a, he started in judo when he was young, got into Aikido it was like high level Aikido back when it was like, you know, Tohei and like the first generation of guys that were really trying to get after, really trying to get after it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and then, and then he, then at like, and then he was a very high level, uh, ice skater, like figure skater, you know? So he's already spinning in circles. So Bogwell was perfect. <laughs> right. And he's got that <laughs> yeah. legs, that leg strength that the figure skaters have too. Oh my gosh. Even, even, and I remember before class, he would just go down into like a pistol squat with like one leg and out to the side and start switching it back. Like it was nothing. You know, and, and, um, and the dude invented infographics back in like the nineties. I've got infographics that he did. Like, I don't even know how he did them, but of all these principles and stuff that are just worth their weight in gold for how this information has been preserved. I don't know how he did it, but you know, now what people are doing in five minutes on Canva, he probably had to do with like, you know, a marker, scotch tape and, <laughs> you know, a copy machine, but like those things are amazing. Um, but yeah, so he, um, you know, he had this, this sort of like setup, you know, three hours of this, three hours of this, always chi going before like the Tai Chi, you know, so I, I did Chin Tai Chi with him. I did Bagua. I did partner, uh, all the partner work and I did Aikido too, because the, uh, why not, you know, and then I would have done his young Tai Chi, which is, uh, I did do some, actually I did study, uh, uh, quite a bit of it through, the his young tai chi is very interesting all of his actually all the arts that he teaches are very interesting um the teacher was quite um acclaimed had a very deep level of skill and uh he taught the the solo sancho form where you had like one person doing the form there's like two sections that you do as a solo form it's very natural movement then you point them at one another and it becomes a partner form oh cool yeah so he that was something that he taught everybody in the school so it was like it didn't matter if you're doing shin tai chi bagua or yang tai chi or aikido you could actually you could communicate through that partner form you know and work work different energies through the partner form um and so it's a it's not a very common set the the this like the yang tai chi uh partner form like that it's a really fun set to practice and so um yeah i studied as much as i could with him i was also at the same time studying uh Tai Chi Mantis with another guy in town. And so I kind of started that before I met Andy because I came into Seattle with that already a Mantis background. So what's the first thing you do? Sure. Go find another Mantis, sure. right? Sure. Because we're all just, cre- we're all just creatures of habit, you know? <laughs> and so, but I knew I wanted the internal stuff because that the guy in, that I had met in Japan. And so I was doing Tai Chi Mantis a couple times a week, but they're a very, very skilled teacher, really interesting guy. And that was a lot of fun. 
And I, I continued to do that for a little while. Otherwise I would have been at the, every single class that Andy taught every day. I mean, I was luckily with the job that I was doing at the time, I could kind of set my own schedule to, um, to like work as, uh, I enjoy living very simply so I can have the time to do the things that I like to do, you know? And so this is not a new thing. <laughs> I've tried to, I've tried to, to refine my innate laziness and turn it into some form of Zen, you know? <laughs> but it's not always, it's not always, it doesn't always work. Um, but, and so I was lucky that I just trained as much as I could, you know, like I was able to train and go to as many classes as I could with them. And then after that, when I moved, uh, one of the main reasons I moved to China was because of his influence, because of so many teachers that he had and all those different influences. I was like, well, I'm, let me go find some influences. Let me go find some different things that I could throw sure. into the mix. Sure. Because because the time that I spent with him was, was so, I was practicing I, I, the amount that, you know, like uh, I practice now, which I mean, maybe is comes through a little bit on social media, which, you know, I am practicing all the time is nothing new. <laughs> I've been doing this since I was like, you know, uh, six years old and going and kicking the soccer ball against the backstop, you know, for, for hours, you know? So, so uh, the time that I spent with him was very, very uh, productive. And I, especially with understanding the principles, getting into the softer side of the arts, which was immensely important for me coming from a Western sports background. I had a lot of tension and a lot of tightness um, that I needed to, to work out, you know, and I'm actually sure I'm still working it out. And, um, and so uh, that was really, really good. And so then I'm, then I'm, then I took all that and I took that to China and looking to see what I could find. You know what I mean? Looking to see who I could who I could run into over there that was going to um because Andy, I remember said something one time. Uh I, I hear his voice in my head all the time. Uh, uh which is fine. He, uh, <laughs> sometimes it's better than mine. <laughs> and um uh you know, he said that when he would see a teacher and if they if they moved a certain way and his and he he resonated with that. You know, his body resonated with that and he wanted to move that way. He would go and um, want to learn from them, you know, and try to try to get that. But if he saw a teacher and the way they moved or something that didn't inspire him, he didn't feel it, you know, like in his body, then, he, you know, he wouldn't. So that was kind of what allowed him. He was just trusting his, his he was trusting his instinct. He was trusting his gut. He was trusting his body with his physical practice, which I think is a pretty good idea sometimes, yep. you know? And, and so when I went to China, that's what I was doing there too. I was going around and I was looking for people who I would meet that would kind of make me go, hmm. you know, like my body would react either. I want what they have. I want to be able to do what they have. And, and, uh, I had a pretty good idea what I was looking for physically. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I never had any, even though, you know, I, I I'm in these internal arts, Right. I, because of my background in the, in Western sports, I've never been under the false assumption of, of the way stress and physics works <laughs> in the body. You know sure. What I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, and so because of that, I've, I've been, my exploration of these arts is very much in terms of just trying to optimize how you move. You know what I mean? And that's what I let gu guide me. So when I find teachers and I see that they're moving, with that relaxed strength, they're relaxed, but they're strong. And then I look for their, their, their personality, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I you know how many teachers I've met that just don't smile? You know, if a dude can't smile, I do not want to train. 
You know yeah. why? Because something in that guy is locked up and stuck and you, you know, and you're going to build a deep relationship with your teacher and you're going to download that stuff. Yep. And you know, and so you, you know, the person that you want, you're, 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 you know, I saw a nervous system around this is getting popular these days talking about the effects of nervous system, around. You know, you want to be around some nervous systems that are, that are regulated and are using their practice to help regulate it and how they're doing it is how you want to do it. You know? So I met, I tried to make, you know, like if a teacher would um, start pointing out flaws, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you know, without that's something I know. I know that's super traditional and it's all that kind of stuff. And you want a critical teacher. But the thing is, is like when a teacher is doing that and I'm commun- and I'm like, the ear don't even move well, you know, you don't have good stances. You don't, you're not relaxed. You can't, why you can't tell, why would you tell me that? Why your body can't tell me anything right now. You know what I mean? Mm. Your body, you're telling me this with your words, but you're, I'm not seeing you in your body exhibiting this. So I'm not, why would I listen to you? And my body goes, eh, no, you know, when people tell me that because they don't have it. But when somebody who has it starts to tell you, oh yeah, you know, relax, put this down. Well, you go, oh, okay. Yeah, I got to relax. You know why? Because they're relaxed. They know what it feels like. Right. That's the, that's, there's a difference when somebody who is telling you a principle is telling you it, who knows what it feels like versus just thinks they know what it feels like. And you know what the difference is? Just watch the practice. <laughs> watch how they move. That doesn't yes. lie. It, it does yep. not lie in how we move. It's just, um, you know, like, uh, you know, when these practices are meant to bring our mistakes out into the open within our movement. You know what I'm saying? It's all things. Stay in your courtyard for 10 years. Why? Because you suck for 10 years. So when we, you know, you, so you have to, but it's, that's like a little bit of like, it's really easy to dismiss that statement, but it's more like you need to look for your suck. <laughs> you know, always be finding your suck. You know, where do you suck? You know, invest in loss, always finding the places where you're not quite there because you need to assume that you're doing a fair amount of it wrong at right. all times. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. It's a, that's a, it, that's a better intention to set than just assuming you're doing it right at all times. Right. You know, oh, one 100%. of those, one will lead to growth. One will not, you know, that's it. You're stagnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So did you know Chinese before you went to China? No. <laughs> okay. No, I did not. I, uh, but the first Chinese I did learn was, uh, which means how do you use this move? <laughs> nice. I went to my, I went to the, the, where I was working at the time. It was like, uh, how do you say, you know, how would you say like, you know, you know, teach me how to use this technique that then I would sit there and practice at work, you know, Jaga then I would go to the first time I said to my teacher, I just said to him, just laughed his ass off, and she went, blah, 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 blah. I was like, uh, can you just kind of hit me or something, please? Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get any of that, you know. And so, um, so I joked that I was like, I was very good at uh, kung fu Chinese before I could speak about anything else. <laughs> and so, um, but it was a lot of fun. I, I love Chinese. I'm, I, I still, um, I talk to myself in Chinese, which makes it feel a little less weird sometimes. So <laughs> it's like you're practicing something. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm speaking to myself in Chinese, I can just tell myself, well, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my language skills sharp. I'm not talking to myself and nobody's around. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. And so I learned sort of, I learned through 
my teachers, my martial arts teachers over there, just going to class and they've been speaking English. And so that was another thing. I, if, a, if I met a Kung Fu teacher over there who spoke English, I was just like, no, <laughs> I know how much you need to train to get good. And there's no way you did both. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an interesting point. I like that. I you like know what that. I mean? Like, no way, no way you did both. Same thing. Like they had too good of a job. I was like, nope. <laughs> College education. No. <laughs> My teachers over there, one, no college education. He was amazing. He was hyper intelligent and mm-hmm. in martial arts, a brilliant mind. And he's perfectly fine. I like, he's, he's, he's a successful guy, but didn't go to college. And cause he trained martial arts the whole, his whole youth through his twenties. That was his life. You know, that's why I wanted to train with my other teacher. Um, that was my Shuaijiao teacher who I was just speaking about. And then um, my other, my Bagua teacher over there, same thing from a child. He went to the sports universities back when they had real, real teachers, you know, like yeah. legit teachers. And like yeah. he was, he had been training from a young age with legit teachers and then went to the sports school and then went to the sports university. And then because he was a very, very unique individual um, ended up, you know, making some people a little bit upset over time. <laughs> and so that's why he was uh, out at the Beijing Language and Culture University teaching us weird foreigners who would show up going, Jake, don't do a meal. How do you use this move? <laughs> and so those are the guys that I looked for, you know? And so um, I just kind of would, um, I didn't know how long I was going to be in China, but when I, once I met, I met those, both those teachers on the same day, actually. Oh. Wow. And, and uh, cause they were friends and, uh, and which was like winning the lottery, you know? Mm. And, and so when I met him, he was the, the word that comes to mind is gregarious. You know, he was uh, big and he's like my size, which I'm a, I'm a fairly uh, large person. I'm about six, I'm almost six, three, you know? And, um, and he was like over six foot, probably like, you know, 200 pounds, like a big dude, you know? And so, I was like, this is this, I can relate to that because, <laughs> because I'm a larger person. So I need, I want somebody who has my same physics, who's dealing with the physics closer to my body, you know? Sure. And the thing is, I don't actually, I don't, it's kind of weird too. My, in basketball, I'm short and <laughs> basketball, I'm a small person. Sure. So, so it was like all of a sudden when I, when I got into Kung Fu, it was like, I was back in like fifth grade again and I was taller than all the kids. So I'm like, what, why do I feel so awkward? You know? um, <laughs> It was like a second growth spurt that didn't happen to me, <laughs> you know? Uh, and the, so anyway, you know, like training with him, he was just so um, physical and you could see his practice. He embodied it. He practiced with us. He would, so he yes. set an example and that was something that Andy did too. Andy practiced with us too, you know? And then I realized that all my teachers practiced with us. They were setting the example of not only here, let me just be the teacher and show you, you know, like, um, tell you what to do. I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to show you how I do it so that you have an idea on how it can be done, you know? So, and not just, and not necessarily saying this is the way it has to be done, but they were all like, you know, you got to find your own comfort, obviously, because you're dealing with your body. And because they knew their bodies very well, they knew enough. And because they knew their bodies very well, and all of them had very, uh, had a lot of experience physically, you know, not necessarily, they weren't, none of them were super roughnecks, you know what I mean? Where they were going to go and, and, uh, and fight, but they, a lot of partner practice, a lot of real world experience, a lot of people, a lot of teachers who had 
real world experience, you know, coming out of, you know, World War II era kind of stuff, you know? And so, so they understood that <clears throat> everybody's different. Everybody comes into a different place. You know, you push on some person, they've got a lot of locks. They got some person's white. You know, they understood that people come into it with a lot of different bodies. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so you have to lead the, the practice is going to be very unique for each individual. So if you do not have a, have a robust physical experience of like, you know, interacting with other bodies, you know, like, okay, you play football or something, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different people feel a lot of different ways, play basketball, same thing. People feel and move a lot of different ways. So you have to, you kind of uh, know that it, there's going to be, you have to assume right from the beginning, there's going to be no one exact way to do it. So to counterbalance that, that's, you get back to that sort of those universal principles, finding standardization of movement. And that's how you, you know, try to use those principles to move forward. And so because I was coming into it with a lot of limitations that were set in because of my movement experience, you know, I was always a little too old to start Kung Fu. I was always a little too old to start Shui I was always a little too old to go into tournaments. You know what I mean? And, um, uh, which I didn't really give a shit about. <laughs> I can drop as many of those as I want. Is that fun? I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, um, uh, I just liked, I just liked the atmosphere. I loved the training. I loved the, 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 the something to energize the practice, you know, you, you know what I mean? And so even the fact that I was a little bit older was something that gave me a little bit of energy in the practice being like, well, I don't care that I'm, I'm going to still try to figure this out. You know, I'm still trying to figure out how to get the most optimize my system, train the right way. And, um, you know, the, and I had teachers who were incredibly technical. And so they could, they could, when I had questions, I'm, I'm, I had so many questions, you know, I'm, I'm, I always joke with my students that they never ask questions and maybe it's because I, um, you know, talk too much. I don't know. But I'm like, you guys need to ask more questions, <laughs> but, uh, the, they always had answers, you know? And if they didn't have answers, they would go reference the source material, which means they would start moving, you know, mm. and, look, and look for it. And then they would be like, oh, well, yeah, you know, there's there. And then Andy told me once, he's like, listen to what I say, but my body is usually always ahead. So always listen and look and then find where it's in between, you know. So so because the, you know, the the, the words are there to just sort of like get you close and then you got to find it, you know. So. But uh, yeah, it's so that kind of just, you know, that still leads me, you know, I still, that's why, you know, I love, that's why I love social media is great. People post all kinds of stuff. You know? I'm just like, oh, what's that? I'm going to try it. <laughs> People posting all their Kung Fu on the social media is great. Thanks guys. <laughs> How old were you, Sonny, when you started working with your Bagua and your Shui Jiao teachers? Uh, I not, moved- that, not, not that age matters. We know you're, you were too old, right? right. You were yeah, too, old. too old. Okay. Uh, uh, too old, meaning, yeah, like, meaning, like, uh, you know, that's when you, I'd say, you know, the best time to start uh, Kung Fu was, you know, like two weeks ago, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> second yeah. best time is right now. So if you're going to, you know, like, uh, you're always working in the second best time. So you got to get, you might as well start now. So, mm-hmm. so you're always a little bit too old. You got to catch up. Um, the, I was, let's see, I started with Siva Chang when I was about 22. I did, I started Bagua with, Andy, maybe around 25, 26 or something. And then I moved to China when I was about 30, I'd say. So I started, so I started, so I started 29, 30 when I, and I'm 44 right now. And 
And so uh, when I started Shuaija, I was, yeah, I was about, I was about 30 when I started Shuaija, 20 and 30. But then, you know, I just trained really hard. <laughs> you know, we trained, we, we had a, um, our practice spot was at the Beijing Language and Culture University. And we, we started off there training. We'd be outside in front of the gymnasium. We'd be in the foyer of the, of the gym. We, my teacher, John Lasher, who's my Bagua and many other things. Actually, he was quite the polymath when it came to uh, martial arts. Um, he, uh, would store stuff down in the basement and carry our mats up every day, you know, and you'd wrestle on these little one inch thick mats in the, in the, in the atrium, you know, and then eventually we ended up moving up to the balcony. They had this huge balcony about the size of a basketball court that had a, a roof and a, and it was exposed on three sides and looked down to the soccer, uh, field that they would play on, you know, next to the, next to the stadium. So we were on the third floor, but we were exposed to the elements. And so we trained outside in Beijing year round. So freezing temperatures in, uh, in the winter, still putting the jackets on, going on the mat, getting after it. Usually there only be a couple of us at that point. <laughs> and then also through the summer when it's like, you know, 40 plus degrees. And so we had a nice, we had that spot up there. It was really good. It was, it was nice because we could focus in and, um, uh, get a lot of good training up there. Uh, and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And so I started that, yeah, about 30 and then moved back here to the States, um, and opened the school here when about, I think it was 39 when we came back. So we've just been back in the States for a few years. So just right before the pandemic, which is both fun and not fun because <laughs> like at least we were in China when it happened. Um, we've been locked down much, much worse. You know, we missed that by a few years, but, um, but, uh, it, it did kind of put a little bit of a cramp in opening the school and promoting, you know, getting things going with teaching. But yeah. Yeah. But now I don't feel, now I feel, don't, I don't feel too old anymore. I feel quite young for a, cause now, um, you know, it's like, uh, when you become a teacher, it's like, there's that, uh, they expect you to be old. You know, the only reason I have this beard is because people don't take me seriously, but I'm not. <laughs> oh, Owen grows his for the winter. So he's, he's wise in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. I grow it. I grow it for the perceived wisdom, <laughs> not the actual wisdom. <laughs> Still working on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So COVID hit, but it seems like you have a, you know, a pretty successful online school, Sonny. Um, did, well, was that? go ahead go ahead yeah you know like um because yeah because the word successful <laughs> when i would that's the one i might argue um you know successful in terms of the skill that uh the students that are building within the online program yeah very much so i'm very happy with how the students that i have in my online program are progressing um you know successful that i'm i'm happy with uh how it's going i'm i'm, I'm very happy you know it's a small program so I guess that's what I mean. It's not, it's not very big. Uh, you know, we don't, I don't, surprisingly enough for, you know, like as, as niche as, as what I teach as far as Beijing Shuaijiao is concerned. Um, you know, like the, there's actually, I don't get a whole lot of interest to be honest, the people wanting to join the, the, the programs. Um, and so, uh, yeah, anybody who's listening, you want to join the program? Come on. In. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, not really though. Yeah, no, that's, that's, the, that's part of what we do here. You know, no, that's, that's honestly, to yeah. To talk to you and the, help you the, things. And- a large, a large reason for that is me. <laughs> Cause okay. I do nothing to promote it really. Mm. 
<laughs> the only people that like you know very few people know about it honest like i was very i rarely promoted i rarely put it out there like i'll be like oh man i gotta do something i need to put something out there about the online program you know because really it, i love sharing shui you know i love sharing it and that's why i kind of i um i pivoted to the online program is because like i want this out there i want people practicing more i want right now it's a thing that people don't know anything about like they used to not even know which why is, right and then they not they didn't know enough to know that there were different styles now they kind of know that there's different styles and then maybe some people have a little bit of an idea what the difference is between one style and another style but uh they probably don't you know, you know, you know what I mean? Because how many people have actually trained Beijing style Shui Jiao to a significant degree? Sure. Very, 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 very few, very few, you know? And so how many people have actually trained with me to a significant degree in the States? Not very many. So most people's assumption of Beijing Shui Jiao is based off of either what they have gotten through another lineage of Shui Jiao, because other styles of Shui Jiao are always bringing in this we're always stealing from people you know of course that's that's how it goes you know it's martial arts you know, it's the it's the most sincerest form of flattery right to, to steal things but once again it comes down to how you train it, it, it comes down to your teacher and how you train how deeply you understand the method you can go buy a book on try you know, there's a lot of information in there. it's not going to help your your hip throw you know what i mean um so the you know like i want to sort of up the knowledge of what Beijing Shui Jiao is because it is it has made such an impact on my own practice going into that from a body method standpoint because it took a lot of like vague concepts and made them very binary because mm. the because the the goal was simple <laughs> throw the person down right okay yep so the goal is simple. The person is supposed to go down. And my, t- and like, and people think Shui Jiao is rough and ready. Shui Jiao is like an, it's like an internal martial art. Beijing Shui Jiao from the teachers that I've studied from, it's like an internal martial art without the Qigong. Like everything was body mechanics. Everything was principles. Everything was technique. Everything was strategy, right? External form only represented those, right? There's no fixed shapes right? There's nothing like that. It's just, it is, it is building this, the skill that's needed. And so because it's a binary, you're looking for a binary result that opens up a huge area for, for, for exploration because within mm. that binary result is a huge gray area. You know what I mean? For how you can do the technique, because you can look at a technique and you can approximate a technique. I can teach people to do a hip throw um, very quickly. Everybody can do a hip throw pretty much. You know, sure. I see Shui Jiao out of shape, Shui, uh, Tai Chi people doing hip throws, right? Uh, okay. Let me see you use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. They will never use it. Most of them never period. Right. So they're playing pretend for a lot of that practice. Why? Because they don't know the proper dynamics. They don't know the proper body method. They don't know the pro- proper uh angles the proper spacing they don't know how that technique connects to the principles they don't know the strategy they don't know where the person's supposed to be they haven't trained the methods correctly they don't they have uh, i maybe they have some of it i don't know if they have all of it but in beijing shuaijia we look incredibly deeply it's like uh taking a microscope 
into one aspect of your art and then seeing how you can take all of those connections and bring them out into the rest of your practice. Right. Um, because the, if you're overly focused in the striking aspect, right. That's, that's, uh, external, <laughs> right. You're hitting something that's not connected to you until the very last moment. Right. So you definitely have to project out. Okay. It doesn't matter if you're doing Tai Chi, Bagua, whatever you want to hit something, something's got to go out. Right. When you put two hands on somebody and you're going to throw them, where is your energy going? It's going in. It's going into them, which means you have to draw it into you so you can throw them. Okay. Mm. So when people, so the dynamics oftentimes are, are, we come into a throw, we come into a throwing situation trying to use striking dynamics when you should be going into a striking situation using throwing dynamics. And so by using tri-jump training, that's how it unlocks body method on a very, very deep level when trained correctly, because now everything that you do, because if I'm, if my arms are moving through space with a strike, that's an open chain activity, right? I mean, it's not closed, right? It's like swing, swinging something in a rope. If I'm holding something, and drawing it through. That's a closed chain activity. That means you're going to have to mobilize the body differently. It's going to give you a much better sense of self uh, center, right? Um, I was thinking of the sort of yourself. Right? Um, it gives you a much better sense of your waist, a much better sense of your back, how you're actually supposed to move from your back. So it was when I started getting into Beijing Kawaja that all these principles that have been instilled in me from Andy, from Bagua started to come alive in a very real sense because, you know, I'm a, uh, I was a Bagua practitioner, Chung style Bagua practitioner before I did Shui Jiao. And my main Bagua teacher um, had also been doing Shui, did Shui Jiao at the sports university and was also a student of the Baru and also um, was spending a lot of time practicing Shui Jiao with us. And alongside my Shui Jiao teacher, who was a, only did Shui Jiao from like the age of eight <laughs> and was like a high level student of, of Li Bao Ru. And so, you know, um, it was fascinating to train these things at the same time in the same place where, uh, I mean, I feel like that's something that's supposed to happen in Bagua, right? This, that sounds familiar. Shui Jiao and Bagua being together, you know, like as many people say it's together, um, I'm not sure if they really understand it. You know, why? Because how many people have actually trained it? You know, mm. so many Bagua people just come in and are just like, yeah, we got Shui Jiao. I'm like, all right, let's wrestle. <laughs> let's see. If you got it, let's see. You know, let's wrestle a little bit. I'd, I'd love to set up like a Bagua Shui Jiao, Bagua Tai Chi, Shui Jiao uh, conclave, you know? Mm-hmm. have some exchange we tried to do that in beijing a couple times and it was it was very interesting results um as the, as one of the few foreigners that were involved in in that community it was quite interesting <laughs> it was good it was, it was a lot of, it was quite interesting i'd love to have some of that stuff going because i think there is a little bit you know when people think shui jiao these days they think mostly competition they think mostly the tournaments and actually I didn't even know there were Shui Jiao competitions until I've been training Shui Jiao until I actually started training Shui Jiao for a while. I got into it because when I saw my Shui Jiao, when I first saw my Shui Jiao teacher was when I met my Bagua teacher. 
I was talking to my Bagua teacher and I glanced over and there's a mat and there's guys doing Shuaijiao. And my Shuaijiao teacher, Liu Zhuang, is about six foot three and 125 kilos. Whoa, that's a big yeah. boy. Built, built like a NFL linebacker with the same level of athleticism. Wow. He's, he, he's a freak of, he's, I don't want to say he's a freak of nature because he is a trained mm. individual. He has mm. trained Shuaijia from obsessively from a young age. Body method, technique. I mean, he's just obsessive about it. Even though he's like 250 um, around. I mean, when he competed, he was, when he competed, he was about 230, really lean for him. <laughs> but he was in the heavyweight. He was oftentimes the smallest guy. He would have to go against guys like, 280 300 pounds like that kind of stuff and, and all of his teachers were little guys so he he actually wrestles like a small person even though he's that big he's, he, his techniques are are high low techniques you know start high drop low send him over you know and so when a dude that big does it on you yeah you go <laughs> so you know so wrestling against him for eight years was an, was an incredibly humbling experience so i'm watching him dismantle this czech guy who was about six foot six and easily like 280, easily 280. He's throwing him over his shoulder. This guy's getting yanked around like, like he's a sack of the potatoes. Just, I'm just seeing like the, the physics, the amount of like force that's being put around this mat that this guy is just throwing around. Uh, I was just like, what is that? <laughs> My teacher, you know, through this guy that was making the introduction and translating, just a, a friend of mine, one of those guys you just run into in China. Uh, uh, a British guy who had been living in Wudong, you know, for a while and kind of, you know, um, he's like, Oh, that's my friend. He does Shuaijiao. He's here all the time. You want to learn Shuaijiao? You just learn from him when he's here. He'll teach him. <laughs> it's like, okay. And there it was, you know, so I would go, we go to the same place training, whatever training Bagua and, and all this stuff, like a few days a week and Shuaijiao a couple of days a week. And, and the first time I wrestled with my teacher, I mean, it was just, you know, softest person I've ever wrestled against. And, uh, soft as Andy when it came to like the softness and Tai Chi, but the explosiveness he had in his, in his power was ridiculous. I mean, he will, uh, and this is, this is, you can, I'm not going to say who this was because this person is a very high level martial arts, a really good friend of mine. And he will back this up. It's the funniest thing in the world. He was wrestling with him. He came to visit and my teacher grabbed him by what with one hand by the jacket and went and just shook him and he face planted on the ground. <laughs> wow. And, and, and because not only because he had such explosive power in his arms, which we train a lot of in Shuaijiao. I mean, we, people talk about Fa Li and Fa Jin. I have no idea what they're talking about because it just looks like, you know, like, cause we train it, you know what I mean? Like we train it in Shuaijiao with a purpose, like it's real. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, you know, it's no big deal. It's just, all you're doing is off balancing people and moving a certain way and people make such a big deal. But anyway, his, his ability to like do that on the right vector at the right time mm. with the right connection to the person that is Fajin. That's yes. Gene, right. It has to have a closed chain and an external intent and manifestation. Right. And that is not just going, you know, uh, doing a chin style form and trying to blow the dust off your jacket. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's understanding the, the, how that goes into a person with a specific effect, right? 
And so, you know, like they're off balance this way. I'm going to pop like this way. And I don't know if this is actually going to be only on, when I say this way, I'm going at a slight vector down and forward, <laughs> right? You know, I'm going to chop the gate. I'm going to do these, all these different things that have a, that aren't, don't just have a representation in your movements, but have an analogous effect in the partner. So you're, you know what you're looking for. You know, when I do a Fajin, I know what I'm looking for because that is an opening for me to come in and do something. So I need to, so it needs to be much more specialized than just, <laughs> you know, it's got to be pop. And then where am I to get into the next movement? Right. That's, that's it. You know, you know, you're, and then, there, then there's another one and another one, and another one, because it's really just you being able to throw the person, <laughs> you know, get them down by using your force in different ways. So, man, he did that one hand and just like the perfect timing. He was, the guy was leaning a little too forward, had a little too much sway. Um, whack, face plant. This guy weighed 200 pounds too, you know? So it wasn't like he was a little guy. And so that's, that's dog war. <laughs> that's my, that's, that's him. And so training with him every day. Yeah. I, you know, like if I ever got a throw, which did not happen that much against him, to be honest, man, that was, that was the day you went home and wrote, wrote your diary for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's you know, awesome you know you know like dear diary i, I got yeah, one i got, I I got, got one. one he was sick and wasn't looking but i still got him <laughs> you have you have that that part can be in parentheses so when yeah, it's in right, the book right. that that's, yeah. that's edited out for the book that's in the that's in the notes <laughs> at the bottom yeah that's in the that's appendix right. at the bottom yeah. <laughs> well, you Go, no, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, on. No, no, no. Uh, I was, I was just going to ask. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So here's here's this. This is not asking. So uh, to go off of what you said, we will help do some of the advertising for you. So uh, awesome. first off, thanks for cool. being on the show. One, even though we're not finishing up, thanks for being on the show. Two, we're going to put your school and everything in the show notes. And then we send cool. this out to quite a few different people. I actually know one of your students, too. Uh, yeah. Matthew Kruger, Matthew Kruger, are you familiar with that gentleman? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Matt's, Matt, Matt's a really cool guy. He, yeah. He, he's a cool um, cat. Yeah. He's very, uh, introspective in his practice and like, uh, you know, I, I really like him. I, I'm glad he's part of the, the program. He, he, um, he did my online program, which is, uh, like these subscription videos that I did. This was, this was actually pre pandemic that I did this. I created a bunch of tutorials, that people can sign up for. And it's, it's quite good. I'm really happy with it. Um, the it's, it was like several years ago that I did it, you know, and I'm always sort of uh, um, upgrading my knowledge and, 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 you know, so those are very good tutorials that people go on and like can get a lot of information, but he's actually now starting um, a, I've been doing an instructor training program the last couple of years, kind of behind like as a small little with a small group and, uh, working to sort of like, you know, with other people that are already martial artists, you know, to try to, uh, teach them, you know, our methods, our Guangwu Shui Jiao kind of curriculum, how we do things, work with them. Um, and so this year I'm actually going to be opening it up as just sort of like an ongoing advanced sort of Shui Jiao training class. Like, you know, it's gonna be like a once a month thing, four month modules, uh, folk with a kind of specific curriculum so that people can just like once a month join in and get a, like have an ongoing training in, you know, Beijing Shui Jiao, you know, for, so that we can just start to like up the, 
the the awareness of the practicality of the art because I find it to be an incredibly practical art, an incredibly incredibly useful art. It doesn't have like uh, the same bias that many arts come into it with, you know, like it's, it's, it's an incredibly neutral art, meaning that it's, I mean, I've worked with, I've worked with people from almost any style you could name. I've had them come and train with me and find overlap because we focus on, because Beijing Shuaji was so heavy on principles and body method, you know, people will start doing techniques and they're fluid techniques. Everything's fluid and explosive. And you're looking to find like, you know, these, these concepts of, of how you move, you know, waist like a coiled snake, feet like drills, you know, and, and all these principles that guide our movement. And then they'll be like, oh, well, this is like this move in this form. Or this is like this exercise that we do. And, and, and it's like, yeah, of course it is because, you know, it's uh, that maybe that's like this, not this is like that, you know, because this is, uh, this is a, binary thing we're doing it very specifically you can't this uh, when you find a, a movement in the form uh there is oftentimes uh room for interpretation in mm-hmm. the movement in the form right there's room for interpretation the peach one you'll have people it's a strike it's a throw it's a lot it's all <laughs> right it's all of those great well that's a whole lot of work man if you want it to be if you want it to be all of those you need to train it to be all of those. You can't just say it's all of those. Sure. And, and all of those are different body methods. Striking is one. Joint lock is another. A throw is another. All of them require different body method, different timing, different focus. You can, you can get into a strike really quick. You know, if you're there, boom, you can hit a strike. You know, if you have the chance, you know, you got your arm out, you can hit them with the strike. You don't need to have, you need to be a whip-like right into that. If you got a joint lock, well, you're going to have to mobilize a little bit more of the body to get the joint lock into place, right? If you're going to do a throw, all of it at all times. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So there's different levels of the body method that need to be there in the technique that need to be able to be brought into, you know, a partner situation and solo practice and differentiated it. So that's a super, super complicated practice. Shui Jiao, if, we, if you should learn a move, it's one move for one thing. And that's what, and, and, and then, and when you learn it that way, you find out how that one move for one thing is also in all these other places, right? And you, but you learned it the first way, how to use it in a very clear way, because you're using it to throw somebody down and the whole body has to be connected to it. And so then, disconnecting a part to find how that relates to a strike or disconnecting a little bit or loosening up how it relates to a shoulder, to a, to a joint lock or something. Well, that's on you. <laughs> you, you know, you, that's why it is such a useful art for the martial artist because you take that binary practice of how do I do this throw? How do these do these body methods? And then you work um, downstream to to the other expressions and where you might find overlap within your within your your more specialized practice right mm-hmm. because when you create something to when you create something very binary like a throw um you know uh, you're using all the levers in the body there's only going to be so so many ways to do it you know only going to be so many ways to do it right 
And, um, and, uh, you know, I remember one Schweigel person here in the States, um, was like, we were talking and he was like, yeah, Joe Schweigel, a hip throw is a hip throw. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can work with you. <laughs> you're not speaking my language. If you're saying a hip throw is a hip throw is a hip throw. You know what I mean? If that's the case, why don't anybody hit hip throws? And, 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 you know, why do only, why doesn't everyone who practices hip throws are able to use hip throws? Or even mm-hmm. use them against a weaker opponent. You know, usually the only time that those, you only time, a lot of times, you know, like in, um, you see, uh, you see the, as the intensity increases and the level gets closer together, you see technique go out the window a lot of times in, in, in people who haven't necessarily trained the right way. Right. They could use, they only can use their stuff when, when there's a huge gap in skill level or strength level or some level, you know, and then, then you can see the technique, you know, but that's why you see like push hand stuff, you know, high level push hands just look so stressful and intense to me. Where are the techniques? You know, you don't see techniques very often unless it's the, unless it's, uh, people stealing Schweigel stuff. 